Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Breakfast on the Class is dedicated for the Rifuah Shilema of Yeshaya ben Lora, Hazaku Baruch, uh, dedicated by uh, Elliot Antoby uh, for Rifuah Shilema uh, Bekarov. Breakfast in the class as well, dedicated in loving memory of Maurice Abadi. Uh, Moshe, Abraham, Ben, Aaron, Abraham, sponsored by the Marcus family. Breakfast in the class also sponsored by our very own Sammy Sutton, dedicated in loving memory of his grandfather, Sammy Sutton, Shalomo Ben Meir. <clears throat> Finally, Breakfast in the class sponsored by Daphna and Jake Mancher in celebration of the birth of a baby boy to Jake's sister, Leah Sani. Mazal tov and congratulations. Our Pasuk tells us a very interesting line. Havu lachem anashim chachamim unevonim. Make for yourselves, bring for yourselves, men that are wise, that are intuitive, the yiduim l'shiftechem, that are well known amongst your tribes. Ve'asimem berashechem. And I will place them as your leaders. And there's a very interesting expression over here that's being used. So let's stop and notice what, what the context is over here. Moshe Rabbeinu, right before he dies, gathers the Jewish people around, and he gives them a long speech, giving them guidance for their future. And one of the things he does is he goes back over their time, over their uh, experience in the land of Israel, in the, excuse me, in the desert on the way to the land of Israel, and he tells them, and you remember when you did this, and you remember when you did that, and you remember we got here, and we did this, and I said that, and you said this, and we did this. And he takes them through a whistle-stop tour of the 40-year history of the Jewish people in the desert on the way to the land of Israel. And one of the stops is the stop of appointing the judges. Now, one, if someone wants to, an interesting point of Iyun, a place to study, it's very interesting that he talks about the fact that uh, he came up, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says, alechem, I said to you at that time to appoint judges. Meanwhile, who's the one that actually said to appoint judges? Yitro. But for some reason, in Parashat Yitro, it doesn't mention that Moshe said it. And in Parashat Devarim, it doesn't mention that Yitro said it. So it's a very interesting question. Why do we have these two parashot that seem to be indicating that this idea came from different places? That's a, a good thing to study Maybe on your own time. But I want to focus on one thing. That Moshe Rabbeinu said at the time of this suggestion to change the judges, Moshe says, get for me the judges. <laughs> Bring for yourselves uh, people that are wise, that are smart. <laughs> that are known to your Shabbatim. <laughs> a very interesting question. He says, imagine there's a synagogue or there's a community. And they have to make a choice who to appoint as a rabbi or as a leader. And they're faced with two different people. Both of them are smart, both of them are wise. One of them is a guy who sits in the back of the synagogue, in the back of the knees. Nobody knows who he is. You know, quiet, stays to himself. And the other person is someone who's famous in the community. Everybody knows him. They all went to his classes. They all went to this, they went to that. Who are you supposed to hire? Do you hire the guy that's famous? or the guy that's not famous. Now, fame is not per se a Jewish value. If anything, one would say that fame is the opposite of a Jewish value. 
So the guy who's well known, who's promoting himself, or maybe, you know, it sounds like, so we normally or naturally, we relate to this idea, we're like, yeah, you know who's better? The guy who's in the back of the bed, Knesset, he's humble, he's quiet, nobody knows who he is. Now, to be honest, that's not necessarily a fair categorization. It might be that the person who's more famous is not because of his arrogance, not because of uh, uh, that, but might be because, you know, he has in his personality, he wants to teach, he wants to communicate. That's a good thing. Over time, that made him famous. But is fame per se a Jewish value? It isn't. Says the Ben Ishchai, who should you appoint? Appoint the famous one. And he brings a proof from this pasuk. Bring me anashim chachamim unevonim, qualified people. V'yidu'im l'shiftechem. Then they should be well known to the tribes. What is that? You see clearly that we're placing a premium on the fact that the person is well known. Why? Why did Moshe say that? Why was that important? And I think from this idea that the Ben Ishchai shares, I'd like to draw perhaps a wider point which I think is really, really important. Says the Ben Ishchai, quotes a pasuk. The pasuk says, Ashir ya'ane azot. A rich person, a wealthy person, right? He answers with arrogance. If a person has power, if they have prestige, if they have the wherewithal, if they feel like they're living on top of the world, they answer back with a lot of assuredness. The fact that someone is a famous person becomes very important in the acceptance of his halachot, in the acceptance of his advice, in the acceptance of his guidance. Do you ever hear somebody say, who's this guy? Who do you think he is? Never even heard of him. As if the fact that you heard of him is the qualification that he relies on. I never heard of him till today. Where did he even come from? The fact that someone has some sort of name in the community already allows for his words to be accepted by people who respect the power, who respect the fame, who respect the fact that he's got that name in the community. So therefore, says the Ben Ishkai, Anashim Yeduim. My friends, I learned from here an unbelievable lesson. What that means is that the Pasuk is telling you, as far as we're concerned, me, Hashem, the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu, we don't care if you're famous or not. Fame is not important. But it's important to people. It's important to people. And if it's important to people, it has to be important to you. Why? Because the Torah was not given to angels. We're not eliminating or forgetting about the human persona or psyche when we give them the Torah and mitzvot and assuming that they are angels. We understand that there's a human element involved. And therefore, there are times when that is what a human thinks. I'll give you an example for this. Rambam writes that one of the conditions for a Navi is that he has to be gibor. He has to be strong. Who cares if he's strong? Do you ever go for a berachat or Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Chamovadia? You're like, you know what? I gave him berachat. But you don't understand. He gave me the berachat. I was just shooting. His forearms are like this. Unbelievable. Guy's a monster. He must, uh, I don't know, he must lift Gemaraz or something. No one respects a wise man because he's strong. 
You don't respect the Navi because he, because you know, because of his lats or his glutes or his, you know, that's not, you know, you're not shooting the guy, you know. Could you, could you flex for us? Would you do the, do the, you know, raise the sefer? Let's see. Come on, just give us a, you know, no one. What is the gibor? Why is that important? And I think that part of the idea of why gibor is chashuv is important in navi is because when people look at this guy and he looks like a weak person then this idea, even though it has nothing to do with his leadership, or his ideas, or his teachings, but it makes an impact on people, and he's less likely to be heard by the people if he's not strong. You know, the rabbis say, the Gemara says, Tamid Chacham, a Tamid Chacham that has even a stain on his clothing, right? Uh, it, it says terrible things I don't want to say, uh, you know, where we go, right? But a person who's not dressed properly as a Tamid Chacham, he's got a problem. Now, where does it say in the Torah that a person needs to be wearing a, a beautiful suit? Does it say anywhere in the Torah, do not have a stain on your clothes? If you had a coffee stain on your shirt, go change it. It doesn't say that anywhere. But the point is, if you're trying to be a respected and respectful person, not for the sake of respect, but for the sake of having your words be heard, for the sake of being taken seriously, then if it's important to people, even if it's not important to the Torah, it becomes important to the Torah by virtue of the fact that it's important to people. Powerful. Says the Torah, says the Ben Ishchai in this Pasuk, let's take into account that the guy's famous. It, it, you know, the rich guy, the powerful guy, he's going to respect this guy. He's not going to respect the guy he never heard of. My friends, I learned from here a tremendous lesson. You know, a lot of times, um, when we're trying to assess a situation in life, you have someone who you're working with, you say, look, you know, the guy, he wants this, he wants that, he has no right. What kind of thing is that? We expect people to have and to understand things the way that they, if that's how he thinks, if that's what he thinks about the situation, if that's what he thinks about me, it's not my problem, I did the right thing. A lot of times, we're only concerned, or at least we play the game, that we're only concerned about doing the things that are right, but not the things that will matter to people, if that thing is not necessarily something that's important to us. But the Torah is teaching us here that that's how human beings are. You know, that's how the, that's what, if doing this is getting him crazy, you know, let's say as an example, you have a guy in your office, he gets majnun if you put the post-it notes on the wall. You don't own the wall, Hada. You know, you don't tell me what to do. But if it drives the guy crazy, why do you got to put the post-it notes there? Well, it's not up to him. I have to teach it. Work with the guy. You know, your wife wants something from you. It's not something that, she, you know, that you, you have to do. You're, it's, you're going out of your way. Recognize that everybody's got their mishigas. Everybody's got their craziness. Everybody's got the thing about them that you know what, it's not right, it's not halakha, it's not, you're not obligated to do it. I think my, I think my friends that, that's what the Gemara, Gemara means, the Gemara says, why was Jerusalem destroyed? Al shelodanu, that they were not engaging with each other, lifnim mishurat hadin, beyond the letter of the law. Es mifrashim, what kind of thing is that? You can't punish me for not doing beyond the letter of the law because the law is what I get punished for. 
if I get punished for it, be, for not being, then that means that it wasn't beyond the letter of the law. It was the law. So how could you have a statement that says that we were punished for not going beyond the letter of the law? Either it's not beyond the letter of the law, and that's why we got punished, or it's beyond the letter of the law, in which case, how could we be punished for it? And I think part of the answer is that maybe it was beyond the letter of the law of the Torah, of what you were obligated to do, in terms of shchosh and mishpat. Did I owe the money or didn't I owe the money? I'll give, me, I'll give you a crazy example. Let's say you have two guys. <clears throat> They're working in a baggage carousel in Tel Aviv. One guy picks up a, a briefcase that comes through the baggage in a, in a nut bag. He takes it, he chucks it, lands on the floor. The other guy picks up the bag, takes it, he chucks it another 20 feet, it lands on the floor. All of a sudden, the guy turns up, opens up his bag, his laptop inside is smashed to bits. Now, never mind insurance, never mind suing. What's the halakha? Does the first guy who threw the bag have to pay? Or the second guy? I don't know. Maybe the first guy broke it. Maybe the second guy broke it. The halakha is, halakha is, maybe both of them broke it. The halakha is, you want to you claim something for me? You got to prove it. Now this guy, because the bag was closed, nobody knows when it broke. So I can't collect from Reuven. I can't collect from Shimon. I walk out with nothing. Now like I said, leaving out insurance, leaving out suing the company. I'm talking about in a case where there's two individuals involved. Now, I'm looking at you guys, and I should say, I should be able to say, listen, you guys worked this out, but someone's better be buying me a new laptop. That's not the halakha. Now, can it get more complicated if Reuven threw it 100 feet in the air and it landed and it's very likely it would have broken? That might be enough to, yes. But I'm saying, in in the standard case, the guy has no claim on either of them. That's the halakha. Let me ask you a question. Your name's Reuven. You went to sleep that night. Even if he can't take you to Bet Dean, did you do the wrong thing? If you didn't pay for his laptop, maybe I broke it. If I broke it, I have to pay. I don't know if I broke it. So he can't prove. He can't take the money from me. Does that mean that I'm not obligated on my own conscience to go? I broke it. Let's say you broke something and someone has no proof. The guy is no witnesses. A hundred, take out the second guy. You can't take the money from me in court. You know why? You have no witnesses. There's no CCTV footage. I know I broke it. You don't know I broke it. Can you obligate me to pay, Avi? No, no. Does that absolve me from paying? Does the fact that I'm not halachically obliged to do something mean that I mustn't do it? That's what the Gemara means. The Gemara is saying that there are plenty of times where halachically we can't mandate something. But come on, be a mensch, be a man, step up to the plate. You see the Torah over here is taking into account human frailty. So you know what? You look at someone in the office, they can't tell you what to do. Your wife, your brother, you're trying to figure something out, someone inheritance. You know, the guy he has no claim against you. But come on. Recognize that even outside of the realm of obligation, 
that there's a person here. He's going to be heartbroken. You're going to break up the family over this. Is it worth it? That's, I think, one of the larger lessons that comes out of the Ben Ishchai's understanding of these words, Yiduim L'Shiftechem. And I want to take it really one step further. You know, we always quote the Pasuk, Lev Yodeya Marat Nafsho. A heart knows the bitterness of its soul. Like, I come around, hey, wait, what's going on? How you doing? No, how you doing, right? I show everybody I'm, I'm great, I'm doing great, I'm so chill, I'm happy, because that's the image you want people to see about my life. But underneath the surface, when no one's looking, there's a lot of things you're worried about, right? That we present a face to the world, but underneath, we know, we know what parts of our life we wish were better. We knew where we wish we were better. You think I'm a Sadiq, I'm a Rasha. You don't know, how do you know? I know my own faults, my own problems. You don't know them. My friends, we look at people and we say to guys, he's so, he's, he can't deal with him. You know, he wants this, he's unreasonable. As if you're always 100% reasonable. Guys, Majnoon, look at her, I came over here, he told me to move the car. Who thinks like that? Who talks like that? How could you even say that? What kind of thing is that? You're also the same way. It's just that he, this guy needs his coffee in the morning before he's a human being. And you, when you get cranky at night or when you get hangry, you start yelling at the, at the, at the waitress and you lose your midot bot. To judge someone based on the image, the concept that we imagine them, expect them to be perfect angels, when we expect perfection, we're always let down. When we recognize that human beings, they're influenced by things. Someone was yelling at you, there's probably a reason why he's taking it out on you if this had nothing to do with you. There's probably something that went on in his day. So for one second, even though you're not obligated to forgive him. You're not obligated to look away, look the other way. But to recognize that this is how humans are. <clears throat> so during this time when we're, where we're punished for not being l'fnim mishurat adin, I think what the Torah is telling you is not that you have, don't have an obligation to do it, but that it's not something that you could take out in court. There's not something that you could point your finger at and say, you know, this is the right thing. I must do this. But at the same time, there's an obligation to treat the human being the way you would expect to be treated. You know, today, our world is, is living the biggest lie in the world. Cancel culture is the biggest lie in the world. They'll dig up a tweet Something that you said eight years ago, everyone will go majnoon. Can't believe it. The guy said this 19 years ago. They found a video recording, loses his job. Do you mean to tell me that in 19 years you didn't say something that if someone caught it on tape, you would get punished for? You would be canceled for? Now, the irony is what mediums are we using to illustrate that people aren't perfect? We're using the mediums of social media. Social media, the world that pretends that everything is perfect. The world of the pictures that always have you on vacation. 
that always have you having a delicious meal, right? You don't have pictures of yourself having the peanut butter sandwich that you made for yourself on stale bread at one o'clock in the morning because you got home, there was nothing else in your head. No, no one has those pictures. Only when you went out and you have a tray, a boat of sushi, that's the pictures that, so everyone thinks you eat like a king, you vacation like a, you know, like a sultan, you, you what's it called, you buy, you buy cars as if uh, you're the, you own Dubai, you know, this is who you are, this is your, this is your life. So in the place of a world that presents, uh, presents itself as perfect, we take people and we slaughter them on the altar of perfection. Who out there is perfect? Who out there? doesn't deserve to be canceled. Everybody does. I do, and you do, and every president, and every celebrity, and every basketball player, right? And every commentator on ESPN, everybody deserves to be canceled. Unless, unless we realize that if I also deserve that, and you, and you, and you, and you, if there's not a single person who could stand up to the scrutiny of cancel culture, maybe our culture is rotten. Maybe we shouldn't judge someone on one thing. Maybe we shouldn't dig up their past and find that one experience or that one lapse in judgment because you and I both know that we've had as many lapses in judgment. The Torah was not given to angels. It was given to humans. We would do well to remember that when we treat each other, Ben Adam Lechavero is not Ben Adam Le Malacho, between man and his angel. It's between man and his friend. The same flaws that you carry, the same baggage that you carry, everyone else is carrying it too. And if we look to people that way and we recognize, you know what? It's more likely that a famous guy is going to get listened to. Let's get the famous guy. It's more likely that if the Navi is a gibor, people are going to listen to his opinion because, you know, he's a strong personality. He doesn't look weak, so he's not going to seem weak, so he won't be a pushover, because that's how humans look at it. Let's also take that into account. It seems nicer if you did this, if you went out of your way. If you, I'm not obligated, but I know it will make a difference to this person. And if that's the case, then that is what we must do. May Hashem bless us always to see others' faults with the same lens that we see our own. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve